Well, welcome everyone. I can't believe you're actually here on Labor Day weekend, but you are. So congratulations to you guys. I mean, either that or you have a really boring life and there's nothing else for you to do. So I don't know, one or the other. Um, I'll take it. I'm really happy. I have a boring life. I enjoy you guys being here with me. Um, so uh, we're wrapping up our series. This is it. I'm Joel Hubbard, by the way. For those who don't know, I think everybody here knows me. Um, and um, I want to also let you guys know we have a really fun series coming up next week. We're starting a series on the Holy Spirit. And um, it's going to go for a number of weeks. And there's a lot of new stuff for me in this space. So, um, you know, we're going to look at things like the history of Pentecost or the history of the Holy Spirit in the church. Taking it primarily, we'll look at some glimpses of the Old um, Testament. Um, we'll go there occasionally. But if I were to just do it from Genesis all the way through till today, you guys would be here for, that would be the series. <laughs> That's it. Um, so we're not going to do that because that would be, that would take a long time. But I am going to give you a brief overview from, um, from the time of uh, the church, the early church, the first church in Acts all the way till um, today. We'll do a brief overview. Even that's going to be enormous. But uh, talk about that. Talk about what is um, this thing that we experience and um, talk about all kinds of things, characteristics of what it, we experience when we experience the presence of the, of the Holy Spirit. And we'll do this as a crowdsourcing thing, too, because one of the things that I've, I've recognized is that, um, to my utter surprise, is that I don't have all the answers. I know that that's going to land as a big surprise to you, too. But, um, but it's funny that God speaks to other people besides me. It's really, really surprising, but that does happen. So there are things that you have to contribute. There are experiences you've had. That's something I definitely don't have. I don't have your experiences. I have mine. So I think us being able to share our experiences in a group like this could enrich our experience and, um, and our view of how the Holy Spirit works among us. There's something we don't know, which is there's this divinity, this, this entity, this, this energy that we can't quite get our hands around. We don't understand it fully. And neither did the first church. They just knew they'd encountered it <laughs> and they knew it was real. So that's the way we're going to approach this thing. And then we're also going to practice some, you know, stuff as well so that we have more Holy Spirit experiences within our community. And, um, and we lean into that. Does that sound fun? Yes. Cool. Um, so last in our series. Here we go on morality. So this one's moral balance, not too hot, not too cold. Now let me explain this because I knew this was not going to get you guys were going to be like, what? what, what, what is he saying here? This is counterintuitive to, to what you would think, but, I'll, but, but here's what I want to float. It's the thought I've been working on and I want to see what you guys think because I've been running this by a number of people, particularly some of my clients, and they seem to be, it seems to be landing for them. But it's this attitude that we don't wanna be too good and we don't wanna be too bad. We just wanna be somewhere in the middle. Again, some of you right away, you're gonna say just like I did, like, no, that's not true. I mean, we admire people that are great, don't we? I mean, look at like, I don't know, people like, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or people like, you know, Mother Teresa, don't we admire? Yeah, generally when they're dead. <laughs> and that's when we start admiring them. 
But while they're alive, we have a, they face a lot of resistance. I don't know how much you've read of Dr. Martin Luther King. I've read his autobiography. I've read tons of stuff about him and his stories. And his stories, he struggled and suffered a ton of resistance, a ton, not just from white people, but from people of color. Many of them who said, you are do, you're, you're creating a problem. We had this kind of balance. I know it's not perfect, but it was a, a type of balance. You see that? Neutrality. We're kind of in the middle there, and you're ruining that balance for us. So there's something to this thing about we want neutrality. We want stasis. We want that soft middle. Now, that, here's what I did. Don't yell at me. This is my, my own design. <laughs> I'm pretty proud of it. Um, so this is sort of the scale. Just right is neutral. Just right is where a lot of people would like to keep it. And so most of us don't really want to get above one or above two. It's kind of like, let's just stay within that range. Because what happens when you get above that is you start becoming a target. If you start changing your life, how many of you, you started changing your life? And that's when people started having some comments about you. All of a sudden, there was resistance. You didn't experience that initially. When you were just average, when you were just functional, when you were just recovering from addiction, and you were, everybody was there for it. Oh, fantastic. You're going from a minus three, and you've gone to zero. <laughs> yes. We're so proud of you. Now you're right where we are. Kind of neutral. No impact on the world around us. Either way. Um, so, so this is my thought. Again, I, I, I haven't worked all of the kinks out. This is why I'm floating this by you. This isn't really like a, a sermon that's prepared that I've spent years thinking about. This is sort of really fresh for me. So yeah, impact. Yeah, either direction, impact it, negative or positive impact. Thanks for clarifying that. So zero is like, don't rock the boat. Zero, exactly. Don't rock the boat. Either way, don't go too, don't sink the boat. But don't go too you know, but don't go too, yeah, don't, don't, do, don't go too far ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this is the thing is it's like, you know, there's this, there's this reaction against, um, uh, against uh, bad behavior, for sure. We have a very strong reaction against it in this country. So if you have bad behavior, you're going to get killed, right? Why? Because you're affecting our stasis. You're affecting our comfort, Okay. I'm going to use those words because I, I actually don't think it's morality. I think it's something else. I think it's comfort. <laughs> I think that's really what's going on underneath. You know why I think that's? Because I know that that's true for me. So I've done some digging and I'm not, I'm not entirely proud of that. That's for sure. But I remember being asked this question by a friend of mine who was like, if you, listen, Joel, if there wasn't a God, would you be, would you continue doing what you're doing right now? And of course, guess what my answer was? Absolutely. <laughs> and I made a fantastically terrible argument to try to support myself. And, but that's, that, it, that arrow had already made its way in. It was like, dang it. Like, I didn't like that question because that question started to expose something. I'm not entirely sure I would. Now, there have been some studies. I wish I had the um, reference for it. If you, if you want, I'll find it. But uh, it's in uh, material I um, was reading um, on morality. But anyways, 
they've done these double blind tests on groups of people. And what they, what they were trying to ascertain is how moral are you really when people aren't watching? And when people are watching, more, everybody's morality is really pretty good. But as soon as they weren't being watched, their morality plummeted. And these are people that swore that they were consistent in their morality prior to the test. They were like, sure, that no, I would, I'm, I believe in integrity. And that is that when eyes aren't on you, you're still doing the right thing. But yet when they got into those spaces, they weren't nearly as moral. And it, there's something to this of, you know, uh, this, this, this thing of like what we portray or the, the, the goodness that we portray is really measured by, let me just actually say it in this way, because I have this quote that I came up with. The same motivation that keeps us from doing wrong is also what keeps us from doing right. The same motivation that keeps us, uh, keeps us from doing wrong is also what uh, keeps us from doing right. See, that, the, the whole thing of like, I don't want to get caught, right? I don't want to be seen as bad, right? It, it, you know, if, if we're more truthful, it has oftentimes is more to do with how I'm perceived, you know, the, 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 how I'm perceived or the, or the flack I may receive or the, the pushback or the, the disruption, whatever it is, it's oftentimes in relation to other people. And that is the motivation functioning underneath versus it being something that we claim it to be, which is a really, really good moral conviction that I've come to. Um, and those are boundary markers. By the way, when I say this, I'm not saying these are bad. I'm just exposing what is rather than just saying, let's call this good or bad right now. Cause we, we don't need to do that at this point. We're just saying that because in some, in some respects, there's a lot to be said about needing social groups to help us be better people. Absolutely. I believe that because it, because we know our, 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 our like the likelihood of us maintaining a particular path that we have charted for ourselves is that we're probably going to stop at some point or get off the path because it's just hard. And so when you have people around you, that extra kind of, mm, yeah, I should do this. It, it's actually not a bad thing, right? It's, 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 it's just, it is what it is. So the same kind of motivation that keeps us from doing wrong can also keep us from doing right. Because if we do something right, we also get pushed back from the crowd. We become a target sometimes by just simply deciding you're going to change. You're going to do something different. Right? So let's, let's read a story that's, just, that's in the Bible that goes along with this. I think it'll be really, um, no, this is the last quote I want to, I want to say. So, Yeah. What is doing wrong and what is doing right? What is doing wrong and what is doing right? Yes, that is. Have a to it, we, definition. we all have to have definitions, but the, but to, but that is something none of us can say. Um, you know, exactly specifically, this is what's wrong all the time, except for some big things that we can definitely say that about. Yeah. Murder obviously is wrong every single time, but let's say lying is lying wrong all the time. Yes. No, it isn't. Yeah. No, it is not. No, it is not. Biblically, that will go against everything you've just come up with. There are so many texts in Scripture. Hang on, let me finish the, the answer. There are so many passages in Scripture that go contrary to that, where 
people of faith who were considered faithful, like King David, who lied about what he was doing when he was running from Saul and he shows up to the high priest and the priest says, what are you doing? And he completely lies and denies the truth. And the priest is fooled and gives him bread. And then he flees. Well, the priest gets in trouble because Saul shows up and goes, hey, did you feed him? And did, you know, and he said, well, he told me he was doing this. He was actually working for you. So there's plenty of those, the Jews who were uh, hiding out in Holland and other places while Nazis were coming in, uh, you have the story of Corrie ten Boom. How many of you read the story of Corrie ten Boom, survivor of Nazi Germany? She hid Jews in her home, and when the Nazis came to her house, what was the morally correct thing to do? To tell the truth that she had hidden Jews within her home? No, that would have been highly immoral. At that point, I would actually say you should be punished because you're immoral for having done that. You do what it takes to protect the lives of innocent people. And so in some of those respects, certain things have to be thought through and discerned. And that's a whole other sermon I can't get into, but I'm dying to get into this because this is a whole thing of wisdom, literature. When you have Torah or law literature, which is the first five books of the, New, of the Old Testament. So when you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, those are, those are considered law or um, you know, code for proper behavior. Then what you have is you have the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job. Those are called wisdom literature because wisdom is a different sort of thing. Wisdom means you can't, this is why Ecclesiastes contradicts Proverbs. You ever notice that? Read those two books back to back. They have absolute contradictions to each other. This, and, they're right, and they're right in the same you know, genre. So, and this is what has, has befuddled scholars for years, for centuries, is how could Ecclesiastes contradict what Proverbs says? Because Proverbs is wisdom literature. So is Ecclesiastes. And what it requires is, in fact, this one proverb is really fun. Answer the fool according to his folly. No, don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be a fool. Then the next verse is, answer a fool according to his folly or he will continue to be a fool. Both are next to each other. And why? Because the writer is deliberate. It's a genre of style of writing, just as you would not take poetry literally, nor should you take wisdom literature as concrete. It's, what it's inviting you to do is there's a proper use. There's times where you have to answer a fool according to his folly, and there are times you shouldn't. That's called discernment, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit. And that's what the early church used, which is going to be in my next series. I'm going to talk about proper discernment through the Holy Spirit is the way the, the, the early church, the book of Acts, plays itself out, which is absolutely remarkable because they don't rely on Old Testament law they rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit in the moment to re-inspire them, to help them understand at a higher level what God was always trying to do, which is the spirit of the law, which is what Jesus fulfilled. So when Jesus breaks the Sabbath purposefully, he's saying, I'm actually fulfilling the Sabbath. You guys didn't quite get it, right? So it's a higher level of understanding. It's fulfilling the intention of the law, not the literal wooden concrete obedience so that you would tell the truth to a Nazi German as he's knocking on your door asking you if you've hidden Jews. <clears throat> Enough said. I'm not going to get into that anymore. All right. Matthew 26. So this is back to this whole idea of the good. Um, the same motivation that keeps us from doing bad can also be the same motivation that keeps us from doing good. So Matthew 26, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, 
a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. This was calculated to be about a, a year's worth of wages, which she poured on his head as, she was, as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked, they, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Do you see the contrast in morality right here? Okay. This is, this is really, this is like a, whoa, when I saw this is, oh my goodness, right? There's a cultural sort of value here that they're all holding on to. They may not have actually acted on it, but they all agreed that this was the better thing to do, right? Why would you take 50, 60, 70, 80,000, $100,000 worth of, of basically money, you know, and, and, and just completely throw it into a, a fire pit and burn it. Why would you do that? But that's, that's, that's what it seemed like to them. How could you do this very thing? It's, 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 okay, bear with me. I'm going to say something else that's going to set some of you off, which is funny. Okay, so it, <laughs> the cathedral in, in, in France, right? The thing that burned down. Notre Dame, thank you. I'm French and I don't even know. So um, Notre Dame. Uh, so Notre Dame burns down and millions and millions of dollars are being poured into it, right, for its renovations. And what was the other side? What was the reaction? Why is, why is all this money being poured into a structure when there are people who are hungry and they should be taken care of? You see? Same sort of argument. I'm, by the way, not saying, see, they should have repaired the, spent all that money on the three. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's the same sort of dynamic and it's the same sort of crisis moment. You have wasted all this money. Oh my gosh, Jesus, we've been taking care of the poor, feeding the poor for, 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 for nearly three years with you, doing all these things you taught us to do. And now in this moment, this woman walks in, who's, we all know how she made that money. And we all know, you know, this, this, is, this is the exchange. This is like a symbol of her sin right here. And it is worth a lot of money. And she breaks it, pours it out on his head and wastes all this money. I mean, look, how many immoral hurdles do you expect us to jump over with you in this space? You have a woman of ill repute who's showing up and she's touching you. Mm, that's like really bad in our day. Uh, and she wastes this thing that's clearly dirty money on you and uh, shouldn't you be saying something about that? Like, this would be a good moment for you to say, yeah, you're right. Disciples, you're right. That's what I've been teaching you all along is you care for the poor. Any extra money, any extra income you give to those who are in need. But Jesus does something really remarkable. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. <laughs> When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So this is another um, quote I um, put together is perfection is not just the absence of sin, but the presence of good as turning on a lamp isn't for the absence of darkness, but for the presence of light. And I think that this is the issue is that there's so much of, 
uh, focus that is happening around, um, uh, you know, we shouldn't do bad. We should just do good, but kind of keep it at that neutral space. Do just enough good. And, um, and to my mind, I think that the doing of the good is, is uh, you know, that's the point. It's not the point isn't the not doing of the bad. The point is the doing of the good. And sometimes when you're doing the good, you have to bring the bad along with you. Sometimes we want to wait until we're just right. We've got it all figured out. We've, we've perfected our lives. And then we're going to step out and do something great. Uh, and that, never, that day never comes. Never, never, ever comes. Um, why are Samson, David, and Gideon referred to by a later Jewish author as being men of faith as examples for his audience in Hebrews chapter 11? Did you guys know about Samson? Yeah, not a very moral guy. How about David? Not a very moral person. How about Gideon? Hiding out, terrified, trying to save his own skin. And God says, you know, appears to him and says, I'm going to make you a warrior. Yeah. So these are all people that were not very moral. Samson wasn't a moral guy. David certainly wasn't. So some of us are like, you're looking at me like, really? I thought David was really awesome. Why don't you read First and Second Samuel again? Why don't you read the stories? His stuff is pretty, oof, whoa. Even on his deathbed, he's like, so remember that guy Shimei who was throwing stuff at us on our way out of, <laughs> make sure that his death does not go, what is it? how does he say it? Make sure that he, he does not go down in a peaceful death. That's what he says to Solomon, his son. Like, I want you to, I want to make sure that you, you take him out and take him out pretty violently. Like this is on his deathbed. <laughs> like, like he's been, it's funny. Cause he was all like really great when it was happening. No, maybe God's using Shimei to punish us, you know? So we'll just go out. So it's just stuck inside him for a while. Right. Cause it festered. And by the time he was ready to die, he's like, no, no, no. I want you to take him out. I want you to make sure his death is really miserable. So there's all sorts of weird stuff. Now, by the way, this was sort of not extremely weird in his day. It wasn't outside the sort of moral kind of framework of the day. So we can't look back on, uh, on those days and say, well, geez, that was really evil compared to today. Well, yes, but not compared to their day, not compared to their day. However, he was also not a very moral man in his day either. It wasn't, he wasn't way better than everybody else. But what he did was he moved forward and chose to do what he could um, in response, not to, and this is what we become aware of our motivation. We become more aware of what's driving us and we're afraid of the social flack and the social feedback. And so we kind of keep ourselves at that neutral space. And there are some people like Samson, like David, even Gideon, who eventually say, yes, I will move forward and I will do something even great, and it may cost me a lot. It probably will. And I think that that is something for us to think about, that there is something within you, within me, that we know that if we step out and do, it's going it's, it's, it's to be hard because it's going to cost us. It's funny how we think of, no, everybody wants to be great. No, not really, not really. 
We want to be great in a certain small sense of that. But when, when, it, when we're really pushed to it, do you want to really transform and change and do something impactful and great in this world? Because when we do, it means that we're raising the banner of our own purposes and callings and our own truth. And at that point, people know and they see you. And some of us don't want to be seen. Some of us love being seen, but we love being seen in a certain way. We don't want to be seen in the fullness of who we are. And so when we step out and we say, yes, I'm going to do this thing that's in my heart to do. When we're, tr- when we're being led by the spirit of God and we're trusting the spirit of God. I'm telling you, I just, I just find it so amazing to watch how God would invite people in the Old Testament who were not great characters and say, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. If you're willing to put your neck on the line, if you're willing to get out there and take that risk of being seen and exposing this, this thing that's in you to do, it's going to cost you a lot, but it's also going to keep you from being either, you know, just below zero or really below zero to just getting to zero to maybe getting to one. It's going to push you to three. And when you get there, you'll know that it comes with a high price, but it's worth every penny. It's worth it. I think of, uh, of Moses who initially wanted to defend his people. And uh, he's in Egypt and he's been raised under the king, the Pharaoh. He's got a good life, but then he sees his own, his own um, bloodline, these, these uh, Semitic people being, um, being enslaved. And uh, he ends up killing one of, the, uh, uh, one of the Egyptian slave masters. And then he hides him, his, his body. And then the next day he tries to resolve an argument between two Jewish guys, one who was the foreman and the other one who was the, uh, the slave. And they say, you're going to kill us too? And so now he knows where it's out, so he flees. Right? He flees. What does God do when God comes to show up to him? Moses, you've got some things, first of all, I'd like you to clean up in your life. No. He says, Moses, I want you to do the thing that's always been on your heart to do. But the way you did it back then, don't worry about that. Stoop by my, let me, let me guide you. I'll, I'll, I'll take you there. And Moses has all kinds of excuses. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be great. Who wants to be great? You saw what happened. When I stuck my neck out, I got shot at. So no, I don't think I want a big old target on me. I think I'll prefer to sort of chill. I got a good life now. See what I've done with my family? I'm, I'm a good dad. I'm a good husband. I'm, I got some cows. Got some beef. I mean, life's good. You're eating, you're, you're eating well. You've got big family. Things are, and then, then God reawakens this thing that's always been within him to do. And most of us were saying, I just, you know, I'm just trying to focus on not being bad, you know, because it creates problems in this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about doing something great. Something has always been on your heart to do. Because as you move towards that thing, these other things start to fall off. That's the idea of Hebrews 12. Where the race is set before you and the race determines what sins you begin to clean out and get rid of, right? 
shed off, take off the things that so easily hinder you because you're running this race that is set before you. So do something great. And when you do, you'll leave an impact, a legacy for others to follow. And you never, it's never too late for you to do that. Never, never too late to do something, something great. And for you, that's gonna be different than for anyone else. What's great is not necessarily in front of a thousand people. It may be in front of one other person, but it's your calling, it's your purpose. So raise the banner of your own calling, your own purpose, your own mission. And when you do, you'll get to see the fruit and the results from that. And they're much better and it's worth it. Oh, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. That's Jesus facing the cross, knowing that this is my purpose and this is my calling. So.